Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're finishing up our work in the art of communicating by Thich Nhat Hanh this week. And so I want to do a couple things. First of all, I want to summarize a little bit for the whole month. Uh, but I also want to take us a little bit further. The end of the book, he actually talks about going beyond clean, good, loving communication with friends and family and says, wait a minute, can we not apply this out into the world? Can we not take this new language for the world, take it out and, and have it apply in our places of business and uh, maybe in politics even? And, uh, and I would suggest to, he has some fairly aggressive and, uh, and fun ideas for how we might take the idea of something as simple as uh, deep listening and move it out into the corporate world, move it out into our communities. And so uh, that's where we're headed today, and I think I'll start with a quote about that from Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, I think, oh, and, and specifically here, uh, as many of you know, and he's sort of world-renowned, you know, world and, and this was with regards to some peace negotiation uh, that he was helping. I think if government officials organized peace talks the way that we organize sessions of deep listening and loving speech, they would have more success. <laughs> Each group has a lot of doubt, anger, and fear in them. And the negotiating may be too challenging when these strong emotions are present. The first part of any peace initiative should be devoted to the practice of breathing, walking, sitting, even calming. Then the groups may be ready to listen to each other. Maybe then the desire for mutual understanding will serve as a basis for successful negotiation. So see how even scaling up something as simple as a timeout, how that could work on a, on a scale uh, uh, out in the world. All right, so I want to start today with a review of the idea of deep listening. Now, when we talked about it uh, in terms of one another, it's a very simple concept of just making sure that the other person is complete and that during their speaking, we have been completely listening, not getting ready to say what we were going to say next, not ready with our rebuttal or our colorful story, or our, right? It's really listening. And it's okay even for a pause at the end then before you begin, because uh, truly you're we're honoring them with your full attention. To upscale that, Thich Nhat Hanh says, well, of course we can do that in groups, right? We can do that in business situations. We can give people our full attention. But he says what so often often in, in groups is the squeaky wheel syndrome. Does everyone kind of know what that is, the, the old idea that the squeaky wheel gets the grease? He says the trouble in groups is that often you'll have a squeaky wheel. And unlike a squeaky wheel that when you put oil on it, it stops squeaking. He says very often, he says very often in groups, no, you'll just have someone that keeps squeaking. <laughs> and, and so the trouble with deep listening in a group is you have to make sure that everyone gets heard, that that potential for learning and understanding and really getting to know everyone is there. It may take someone, the facilitator, or even just a member of the group to take the squeaky wheel person aside and just gently and lovingly 
only say, you know, there's 12 people in the room, you know. Everyone needs that chance to speak their mind. Everyone needs to be listened to fully. So, uh, so, so that's one of the promises I know, I, I know that I've tried to make. And sometimes it isn't easy, right? Some people are just talkers. And yet, if all we do is listen to the more, what, outgoing people, we're missing the whole voices of other, um, other ways of thinking, other ways of being, other impressions of how things are. So really to do deep listening in a group, one of the rules needs to be everyone gets a chance to speak fully, that everyone in the group. And so you might even invite that. You might even say, well, well, June, we haven't heard from you. How do you feel about that? Or, uh, or, or Reverend Larry, um, uh, let me kindly say you've been doing most of the speaking today. <laughs> and there are 11 other people in the room. <laughs> and I swear to gosh, I will kindly receive that as well. So real important, deep listening in groups, it means deep listening to everyone. The second thing that he says is equally important in groups, perhaps even more so than one-on-one, I think I'll illustrate with a joke. So John invited his mother over for dinner. Now during the meal, his mother couldn't help noticing John's roommate. She's often been suspicious of a relationship between John and this roommate, and it made her only more curious. Over the course of the evening while watching the two interact, she started to notice those little sidelong glances, those little uh, kind of interpersonal things that sometimes are more than just roommates. Reading this into his mom's thoughts, John's volunteered, now I know what you're thinking, mom, but I assure you, we're just roommates. Well, a few days later, John's roommate came to him with a question. Ever since your mother came to dinner, I have been unable to find the silver gravy ladle. Now I've looked everywhere. You don't suppose your mother took it, did you? Well, really, said John, I can't imagine, but I'll write her a letter just to clear up the business. So he sat down and wrote, Dear Mother, now I'm not saying that you did take the silver gravy label, and I'm not saying that you did not take the silver gravy label, but the fact remains that one has been missing ever since you were here to dinner. Several days later, John received a letter back from his mother, and it read, Dear son, I'm not saying that you do sleep with your roommate, and I'm not saying that you do not sleep with your roommate, but the fact remains that if you were sleeping in separate beds, you would have found the gravy label. (laughs) I... I suppose, I suppose that one moral of the story is never lie to mom, <laughs> but, but in the bigger picture, Thich Nhat Hanh says that when we lie or when we exaggerate in group settings, the trouble is just magnified. First of all, he says, if you have any group of people, there will be people in that room that simply know when a fib's taken place, right? That we might have a chance one-on-one with doing a little BS around people, but you put them in a group, there will be someone there that goes, wait a minute, that's just a story. That can't really work that way. That can't be that way. And the first time that the person who says the fib goes out of the room, what happens, right? Did you hear what he said about, could that really, right? There's simply no way that a a fib or a big exaggeration, that you're going to get away with it. But he says even more damaging than that is normally in a group, the group has some purpose, whether it's at work and you have sales quotas to meet or whatever it is. So even if you're maybe just planning a family reunion, there's something that that needs to be accomplished. 
And if your doing this is based on a fib, it simply can't come to good fruition, right? If you're, if you're, you know, it's that old idea of garbage in, garbage out. If whatever you're doing is, is based on something that just isn't true or is wildly exaggerated, it just isn't going to go anywhere. So really, in the interest of the effectiveness of your team or your group, really everyone needs to be honest. I still remember the time in, in my long career at the telephone company, uh, for about 10 years of it, I was doing project management. And so we we were the, and I, and I know some of you were probably at the mercy of us, and I, let me apologize in advance, but we were the team that would come in and upgrade your computer systems. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a special time? Uh, but, but we actually got pretty good at it, and we could, we could explain really pretty carefully, like, how many days it would take, and what level of training would be necessary, how much money the new computers would take. I mean, we did it enough that within a pretty, pretty narrow range of very Variation, we could tell you exactly what to expect. And I remember my boss's boss came to me one day and said, you know, your bid on, um, on, on this one in Phoenix, you got to lower that. And I said, well, what do you mean? It, it is what it is. You know, they, it's a big office. There's 100 people. There's like 120 machines and so on. And so he said, yeah, I know, but you're making it sound like it's going to take too long and cost too much. And I'm like going, well, it is gonna, it is gonna cost a lot, and it is gonna take a lot of time. He said, I know, but they need to be upgraded, and they're not gonna buy that. So here's what I want you to say. Basically, he wanted me to lie to them to say it was gonna be cheaper, and was only gonna take a couple weeks instead of a month. Do you see the trouble with this? You might in some way think, well, it's for their own good. You know, we need to get in the door. We'll make up to, we're nice people. We'll help them, right? You, you might think that somehow that, that small, well, it wasn't actually even a small fib, right? Uh, but you might think that, no, in order to do what we need to do, it's okay if we go in with a little bit of a fib or exaggerate. But I got to tell you, that was the most miserable experience of my life. Because every single day, they could see we weren't getting enough work done that we would end up where we had said we would be from like day two. It was like, well, wait a minute. This can't possibly be true. And if you're here twice as long, it's going to be twice as expensive, right? It's like you can't fool people with fibbing. They catch on right away. And every single day on that job was painful for us, and it was painful for the clients. Please, when you are working in groups, it isn't just a little white lie that you're going to get caught up in. The whole team suffers. And the people you're interacting with, the whole project that you're working on, or the, the ideas that you're communicating to each other, when they're built on lies or exaggeration, it's worthless in a sense. And can you imagine, would that group ever want me to come back? right? It's like as loving and sweet and wonderful as I am, they'd be like, no, that's the guy that costs twice as much and takes twice as long. We'll take the mean guy that can get it done in time, right? So please, above all, Thich Nhat Hanh says, honesty, honesty is important. 
The other thing that he talks about is consistency. And this is also perhaps even more important than a group. Now, as individuals, he says, our consistency in our speech is that I wouldn't say one thing to Nancy and something else to Linda, that I would be pretty direct in my, my take on what was happening, that I wouldn't, you know, alter the story or, or play up one aspect of it at the expense of someone else or something else going on. He says even more important in a group, that really the entire group needs to have a, a consensus idea of why the group exists, where you're going, what's important, that if any out, they're big outliers with different motivations, someone that has a complete different reason from being there, totally going to undermine the effectiveness of the group or the team or the people putting a party on or whatever it is. If someone has their own hidden agenda that's completely different, you're opening up to a big mess. So what he recommends doing in a group, any group, any meeting even, is the first thing you need to do is make sure you're in agreement as to why you're there. Why are we here? What's this meeting about? That's the importance in the business world and in other places for having things like agendas and things like that. It isn't so much that the facilitator's forgotten why they're there. It's that so we can come to an agreement so that everyone can have some consistency about why we're here, how we're going to conduct business, how we're going to figure out who to invite or, you know, whatever the thing is. There need to be those agreements from the get-go. If not it will take longer. If not, people's feelings will get hurt. If not, you will simply not be as effective. The last thing that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about in terms of upscaling uh, what we learned personally to be good communicators has to do with simply choosing the right words, making sure that the communication itself is loving. Now, here's a question for you or a thought for you, right? I'm sure we have all worked, certainly, in situations where it wasn't a very loving atmosphere, right? When I think of my career at the telephone company, there were times when I worked for a great boss and enjoyed what was going on. And I got to tell you, there were other times in those 25 years that things were pretty stinky, and so when Thich Nhat Hanh tells me, well, you just need to treat everyone with more love, a part of me was like, mm, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Sometimes it seems like even though we say love is the antidote for everything, there have to be situations where you need to do something firmer or more directive or, or maybe even more dramatic than giving someone love. Thich Nhat Hanh disagrees with this, and I want to explain why. What he says is that love is simply the most attractive and powerful force on the planet. And isn't that what we teach on Sunday? But he says even in the business world, that when someone is speaking from the place of love and compassion, it's like you're inviting that deep listening. There will be people that suddenly you're like lit up like a light bulb and they will, want, they will notice the difference. They will notice how the other people are talking and they will notice that you are a good listener. They will notice that you are taking the time to really understand what's going on. They'll notice you're the one that's clarifying the situations to making sure that everyone's voice is heard. And even in some of the more oppressive atmospheres at work, whether it's the leader or other people in the room, they will go, wait a minute. 
there's something going on here. There's something powerful going on here. Now, it may not change the atmosphere of a meeting or a work group overnight. In fact, I can certainly imagine, you know, work groups with sexism and other things going on where a single voice might require repeated efforts, shall we say. But Thich Nhat Hanh says it's, it's that force that's almost irresistible, that when someone is speaking from the heart, when someone is taking the time to be kind as well as direct and powerful, people want to listen. And so it isn't that we would do it to be nicey-nice. I mean, although that might be a good enough reason, we do it to be powerful. We do it to be excellent communicators. We do it out in the world, not just because we want to be compassionate and filled with love for others. We also do it because it's incredibly powerful, effective, and success-bringing. So how can we just plunge into some kind of a group situation and begin applying these tools? And he gives us some ideas. First of all, much in the same way that we did on an individual level, he says, make sure that your group communication has a purpose and intention. And so whether it's set by an agenda or whether it's set by the first few words that you talk about, it's important in a group to say, you know, why we're here, what's going on, how long we're going to be together. He also says it's really important to honor people's space. And so from the get-go say, this is an hour or this is a a half hour or this is two hours and you keep to it. You honor people's needs for restroom breaks and water and you you make sure that you're treating everybody really well. You have to set things up with some intention and then people will actually want to be there. He also says that there often need to be spoken agreements for listening and speaking, that sadly these days in groups, people often will talk over one another. There may be side conversations. There may be, uh, you know, people, I don't know, on their iPhones posting how fabulous the meeting is on, <laughs> on, on Instagram. Or, and he says, unfortunately, you know, there's a time for that. But when you're in a meeting and really trying to communicate and get some things done out in the world, that's not the time for it. So you need to set up some of those social norms, again, and just explain why you're doing it, and again, explain it in a loving and true way. Finally, finally, and here we're back to the deep listening again, he says that you need to make sure you hear everyone's voice. If you want your team to be successful, right? You didn't invite just a random assortment of people, most likely, whether you're putting together a high school reunion party or whether you're planning something for your parents' 50th wedding anniversary. The people you're inviting, you're inviting them for a reason. And so, of course, you want their input. Not just the squeaky wheel and not just you. So if you're the facilitator, Absolutely, make sure you listen to everybody. You know, there's kind of a thing, you know, a lot of organizational structures or even meeting structures, you know, have that that pyramid thing, right? There's like someone in charge of it so often. Not always, and we certainly can model meetings and, and teams more on a circle or other things, but out in the business world, often you're gonna be faced with that that pyramid with one or two people on the top, right? And then they kind of have their lieutenants underneath them. And then there are the business managers kind of in the middle. And, you know, down far enough are the people that often you would say are really kind of doing the work as opposed to organizing the work. 
What happens if you only just get a segment of that pyramid? What if you just talk to the people at the top or just at the people at the bottom? Do you see the trouble with this, right? There isn't the broad perspective that can allow a team really to be successful. You're going to get a very similar set of beliefs. And especially for the people at the top, what are the people at the top used to hearing from other people? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they're used to. And what's really sad, often we give the people at the top of a company or, or, or a group uh, kind of a bad time, right? They're the people who should know better. They're in charge. And yet, what, then what do we tell them? What's the information we tell them to be successful? We just tell them what they already wanted to hear. <laughs> we, so, so, so back to my story about listening to everyone. Please, in particular, make sure that if you're leading a group or in a group that you get that spectrum, not just the people managing a project, not just the people that are maybe doing some of the, the physical effort necessary on a project, not just the mid-level managers. So often in companies, those are the groups that get together and talk things out, right? <laughs> and they're not getting the benefit of what goes on you, you know, higher up in management or below. So, so we're not going to fall for that. Be thinking of your groups and gatherings of people and the communication styles as being more circular rather than a pyramid. Begin thinking that everyone's opinion is important because it is. Everyone is representing the full spectrum of what needs to happen. Some in management, some not, some who have managerial experience, some who have very technical experience. We really need input for everyone. Okay. What happens if when you're not in charge, right? What happens if you're in one of those work groups um, that we were talking about where it's a little hard to get anything done, right? The boss maybe isn't so, uh, so useful or is a little didactic. Maybe the bi typical business meeting is the boss comes up and stands with his arms folded and just speaks for an hour. And you're required to just listen and then later act. scary, but haven't we been in situations like that? Well, there isn't an easy solution to it, but Thich Nhat Hanh says if we persist, if we absolutely persist in our deep listening, and if we persist in coming from that place of loving kindness and compassion in the interchanges that we do have, what will happen is over time, the atmosphere will change. And in fact, if you look at the business world now versus maybe 20 years ago, there really is less sexism now. There really is a greater awareness of, uh, of, uh, of leadership being participating uh, out with people who really know how the work is done. Really, things have changed in the last 25 years. And if we can continue with these ideas of honest and open communication, if we can be good listeners, if we can do our part, what happens is the people who are not like that, they start sticking out and not in a good way. And the people like you that are the good listeners, the active participants that are speaking from their heart and doing what's necessary to make sure that there's some compassion involved, you stick out in a really good way. And that is how the climate changes. That's how the world changes. It isn't by that, uh, that woman or that man at the top saying, by God, we're all going to be nicer to each other from now on. And I'm taking names if you're not. Right? That's not how it happens. 
It happens by actually people treating each other. It happens sometimes in the, in, in the face of things going poorly. It happens by the people who can demonstrate how their lives go well through the principles of loving kindness. So I want to leave you with just the briefest of summaries here. And again, this applies whether it's a one-on-one conversation. This applies whether it's a group conversation. Thich Nhat Hanh says, first of all, when we're speaking, we check for the truth. Are we speaking the truth? Are we exaggerating? Are we confabulating? Or is it the honest truth coming from our heart? People will tell a difference, and you will, in some sense, be reacted to based on how truthful you are. The second thing that he says, again, whether it's in a group or whether it's individually, that's some consistency. When we're in alignment with our thinking, our thoughts, our words, and our actions, people see us as trustworthy. People see us as that that consistent kind of person that they can count on. I'm not giving somebody else a different answer or a different story. I'm sticking to what I believe. I'm sticking to what I understand to be true. And you can see it in how I interact with other people. You can see it in my actions and you can see it in my deeds. When we have consistency as individuals and groups, we become very powerful. And lastly, he says, what is the intent of what we're saying? Are we purposeful in our communication? And again, whether it's in a group or whether it's as an individual, are we just blowing off steam? Are we just talking because the gums are flapping? Or are we bringing intentionality to it? I'm here to support you. I'm here to figure out the best way to throw this party. I'm here so that we can compare and contrast ways of, of selling yellow pages or you know whatever the, the team or the group is there for. Does it have intentionality or are we just flapping our gums? Because a group or a person who is intentionally speaking, people get that right away. Have you ever been in a group of people, and it isn't even always the, the leader of the group, but have you ever been in a group of leader where it's, it's like there's a light shining on one or two people, and those are the people you just instinctively want to listen to? Do you know what I mean? It's because they have this level of sincerity about them. It's because they really have some consistency and a track record of being honest and and being able to portray themselves well. It's because they're able to communicate in a way that doesn't piss off everybody, that is from the place of compassion and love. You, you can be that person. Now, when you're in charge of a group, that's wonderful. Even when you're not, When you really bring your level of good communication, of deep listening, of compassion to the group, you will be rewarded. I know sometimes it feels like you're the outlier. And again, I don't want to minimize. Sometimes a group consciousness cannot change overnight. Sometimes you'll kind of feel like the rebel when you say, I think we should, everyone should not talk at once anymore. I think it would be, I think it would be good if we just did one by one. You know, there will be people that will grumble. So what? The team instinctively will know this is useful. The team will instinctively know, well, of course she's right. Of course we need to listen to one another if we want to make progress. All right, I'm going to close with a final quote and a prayer. We're going to say goodbye to Thich Nhat Hanh for a, a few months. I think we're going to do another one of his books this fall. Here's how he completes this idea of, uh, of using communications in that bigger way out in the world. 
He says we need to find better ways to communicate. Now, if we can do this in our relationships, we can do it in our work environment. And if we can do it in our work environment, we can even apply it to politics. We have to transform our governments into mindful, compassionate places of deep listening and loving speech. We can each do our part to contribute as a citizen. And in this process of community building, we not only get the transformation and healing that we need, we also further the transformation and healing of the entire world. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one goodness. There is that one still small voice that I call God. And what I know about God, it's in full force right in this room. It is the individualization. Each person here is that individualization of God. And so when God is speaking to God, is it not words of love? Is it not words of compassion and usefulness? Is it not the, the listening from that place of the heart where we truly, truly want to understand one another? I know it's true for me. I know on this day, I simply claim for myself that ability to listen more deeply and completely, that ability to choose more carefully the words I have, the idea that I am compassionate in all my interactions with people. And as it is true for me, I know it is true, it is capable of each person in this room, that each person here can open themselves up to more loving, more effective communication. And I'm simply grateful for this. I'm grateful for this series, grateful for this uh, place that we come to on Sunday, grateful for the hearts and the hands and the minds of God right in this room. And in gratitude, I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks for being here today. So grateful to you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.